Since time immemorial, the arrival of spring has been seen as an auspicious occasion by several cultures throughout the globe. In pagan Europe, the Celts and the Greeks marked the occasion with great feasts, festivals, and other rituals that often revolved around the sun and nature as a whole. The Celtic celebration in particular was later adopted as Easter by the Christians. Even now, in our mostly secularized culture and society, the vernal equinox is greeted as a time of rebirth and rejuvenation, and, in some countries, is even set aside as a national holiday. Iran is one such nation. The festivity, known as Norus, is an ancient tradition dating back over 3,000 years to the time of the ancient king Cyrus the Great and Darius, and marks the first day of the Persian calendar. But where does this unique holiday come from? How was it born of one religion, yet gone on to be celebrated by people of multiple faiths? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome back to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. We've often heard the term lunar calendar, especially around the times of both Chinese and Jewish New Year's. Unlike the Gregorian calendar, a solar calendar which relies on the Earth's annual rotation around the sun, lunar calendars measure time by the 12 full cycles of the moon that occur within a year. The Persian calendar also falls under this category, and as such, it doesn't coincide with the current year on the Gregorian. While we're in the year 2022, the Persian calendar is about to enter the year 1401, and whereas January 1st is our new year, the Persian coincides with the vernal equinox, which takes place on or around March 20th each year. But how did this practice come to be? The answer can be found in Iran's glorious and storied past. Norus, which simply means new day in Farsi, as we know it, began in the 11th century, when the Persian calendar was modified in order to match up the first day of the year with the first day of spring. But festivities to welcome and honor the season were, even then, nothing new in Iran, and had, in fact, been celebrated since the country's birth centuries before. Though the historical origins of the holiday are hazy, they are attested to in the mythology and literature of Persia, indicating that the earliest people in the region marked the occasion auspiciously. According to the Shahnameh, or the Book of Kings, the national epic of Iran, Noruz was founded by the mythical king Jamshid, who's credited within the text as a savior of sorts for thwarting a global winter that was destined to kill off every living thing on earth. He did this by constructing a throne of gems, upon which he was hoisted to the heavens to shine like the sun. Animals from around the world gathered about him and placed gems and precious stones at his feet, proclaiming it a quote-unquote new day for the world, hence the holiday's name. While it's unclear just how far back such a festivity goes, it's believed that the Proto-Indo-Iranians themselves held celebrations to welcome both spring and autumn, which would coincide with the planting of seeds and the gathering of crops, respectively. Over time and influenced by the cultures and societies around them, the traditions surrounding the holiday became even bigger. The late Mary Boyce, professor of Iranian studies at the University of London's School of Oriental and African Studies, believed that, quote, the splendor of the Babylonian festivities at this season led the Iranians to develop their own spring festival into an established New Year feast, unquote. As to be expected, the origins of Noruz were intrinsically linked to religious practices and doctrine. Though Islam has been the dominant religion in Iran ever since the Arab invasions of the country between AD 633 and AD 656, it's easy to forget that the Persians had their own indigenous faith prior to the 7th century conquest, which is still practiced largely outside of Iran to this day. Known as Zoroastrianism to the world at large, Mazdayasna, as it's known in Farsi, is based on the teachings of the ancient Persian prophet Zoroaster, also known as Zarathustra and has a dualistic cosmology of good and evil within the framework of a monotheistic philosophy, which predicts that evil will ultimately be conquered by good. 
Its supreme being, Ahura Mazda, is the oldest monotheistic deity in existence, predating even the one god of Judaism, also known as Adonai. It's to this religion that the festivities of Noruz were originally tied, and it was the most important of the seven annual observances, the others being the six Gahambar festivals that honor the six primordial creations of Ahura Mazda. According to tradition, the holiday was created by the prophet Zoroaster himself, though no definitive date of origin has survived to the present day. A 10th century Persian scholar, however, elaborates on its importance to the Iranian people. In his work, and pardon me if I butcher this, Kitab al Tafim li Awail Sina'at al Tanjim, that's a mouthful unless you speak Arabic, a work that chronicles the various cultural and religious calendars used by the diverse groups in Iran at the time, Biruni describes that, quote, It is the belief of the Iranians that Noruz marks the first day when the universe started its motion. Unquote. In addition, a Persian historian known as Gardizi emphasized it in his own text, the Zain al Akbar, that one's easier, that Noruz's importance was emphasized by none other than Zoroaster himself. Talk about getting it directly from the source. As Persian influence spread thanks to the growth of their empire, Noruz became more widespread throughout the Middle East and Central Asia. In the days of the Achaemenid Empire, which was the height of ancient Persian culture, the holiday spread throughout the lands they'd conquered. During the festivities, the governors of each of the territories would bestow gifts upon the King of Kings, the more poetic title for the Shah. In fact, part of the royal palace complex in Persepolis, the ancient capital of Iran, known as the Apadana, is believed to have been built specifically for the celebration of Noruz. A massive hall supported by a hundred individual columns. The annual feast was held there, with dignitaries from both within the empire and beyond. Because of this exposure to Persian culture, other peoples and societies at the time adopted the Notus festivities as well. The Parthians, for example, an Iranian people who succeeded the Achaemenid dynasty, adopted the festival and its practices, although they moved it to the autumnal equinox instead, in order to celebrate the bounties of the harvest. The Armenians, who prior to their conversion to Christianity were predominantly Zoroastrian, celebrated it on the vernal equinox just like the Persians. But it wasn't until the rise of the Sassanid dynasty in Iran in AD 224 that extensive records on the Noruz holiday and its celebrations emerged. Under the reign of Ardashir I, the founder of this new empire, it became the single most important day of the year. Practices such as the pardoning of prisoners, monetary gifts, and governmental audiences with the public were established at this time and persisted in Iran until the dawn of the modern age. With the Arab conquest of the country in the 7th century, the Persian population converted from Zoroastrianism to Islam. Despite this drastic change, Noruz survived unscathed, for their Arab overlords saw the importance of the holiday to its people and how intrinsically linked it had become with the national identity, having superseded much of its original religious overtones centuries prior. Other festivals, however, whose roots were tied specifically to Zoroastrianism, eventually faded into obscurity on a national scale and were instead kept alive by practicing Zoroastrians themselves, both in Iran and in diaspora communities outside of the country. Yet even under the Abbasid Caliphate, the Arab dynasty that controlled Persia following the conquest, Noruz was the main royal holiday, and much like in Achaemenid times, gifts were offered to the caliph by local rulers. Though Iran would exchange hands several more times in the ensuing centuries, not once did Noruz ever come into question. As Turkic tribes and even the Mongol Empire moved in and out of the country, they kept the practice institutionalized. Indeed, such circumstances, invasions and conquests, only reinforced the importance of the holiday, as it held, in the eyes of the Persian people, a distinct and uniquely Persian identity. 
In the 20th century, with much of Central Asia having fallen under the Soviet Union's sphere of influence, Iran was one of only two countries, the other being Afghanistan, that had officially recognized Nowruz as a national holiday. But one by one, as these former Soviet blocs gained their independence, they reinstated Nowruz, and in 2010, it was added to the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organizations, or UNESCO's, list of the intangible cultural heritage of humanity. We've been talking a lot about the history of Nowruz, but what are some of the symbols and practices that accompany it? Like Easter, the colorful painting of eggs is a common Nowruz tradition. The egg, of course, represents rebirth and new beginnings. The goldfish, a symbol of good fortune throughout much of Asia, has the same meaning here, but also one of prosperity in the coming year. You've heard of spring cleaning, but the Persians take it to a whole other level in preparation for Nowruz. In the dates leading up to the new year, Khane Tekani, literally shaking the house, is performed so that everything's in tip-top shape for a fresh start. In addition, people buy new clothes as well as flowers, the rich fragrances of which are said to brighten the spirit and do away with negativity and the quote-unquote old baggage left over from the previous year. Hyacinths and tulips are the most important of these, with the former being a representation of the season in general, while the latter is synonymous with the coming of spring. Being a very social culture, visits to family and friends are also typical of the festivities, with young people visiting their elders and the elders visiting their grandchildren later on. Tea and pastries are traditionally served to guests, particularly cookies and dried and fresh fruits mixed with nuts and dates. This is to start off the New Year sweetly, but these snacks, though tasty, pale in comparison to the traditional dishes of the Nodu's meal. Having been to a number of Persian festivities and celebrations in my time, I can attest that they are very much a food-oriented culture. Every event, be it a birthday party or a wedding, merits the making of some truly delicious staples of Persian cuisine, and Nodu's is no exception. The most common fare is samanu, a sweet paste made out of germinated wheat. This is commonly eaten during the haftsin, or the ritual in which family members gather around a traditional table adorned with seven items that begin with the letter S, including samanu itself, to await the arrival of the vernal equinox, and therefore the start of the new year. The foodstuffs on a typical haftsin table include sabze, barley, wheat, lentil, or mung bean sprouts grown in a dish, samanu, the aforementioned sweet paste, senjed, Persian olives, serke, vinegar, Sib, apple, sir, garlic, and somak, sumac. The samanu, however, is typically cooked overnight. In more rural parts of Iran, groups of women and girls prepare the dish together, the practice of which is usually accompanied by the singing of traditional songs. On the day of Nodus itself, sabzi polo is the main attraction. This tasty dish of rice and chopped herbs is usually served with fish. For dessert, nane nochodchi, small cookies of varying shapes, are served. Made of chickpea flour, they're flavored with cardamom and garnished with pistachio, giving them a chewy yet crunchy texture that always satisfies. The giving and exchanging of gifts are also common practices during Noruz. Did you know that the holiday has its own Santa Claus-like figure? Amu Noruz and his assistant, Haji Firuz, are the heralds of the New Year and can often be seen walking through the streets of Iranian towns and cities, delivering gifts to children. Amu Noruz's traditional appearance is described as elderly, with a long flowing beard. He walks with the aid of a walking stick and is dressed in a blue canvas cloak, linen trousers, give, traditional Persian shoes, and a felt hat. Haji Firuz, on the other hand, is covered in soot. Though he too wears a felt hat, his clothes are bright red, and while Amu Noruz distributes gifts, he sings and dances while playing the tambourine, addressing everyone he meets as lord and lady. 
As you can see, the history of Noruz is quite rich and has taken shape over many centuries to become the celebration it is today. Even now, long after the breaking up of the ancient Persian Empire, the holiday is observed in several of its former possessions, as well as in Persian diaspora communities throughout the world. Afghanistan has set it aside as a public observance, with opulent feasts. Down in India, the Parsi community, those Persian Zoroastrians who fled Iran following the Arab conquest, observe the New Year with traditional music and dancing. In Albania, the only Muslim-majority country in Europe, Noruz coincides with the birthday of Ali ibn Abi Talib, the cousin of the Prophet Muhammad, and is recognized by the country's Catholic and Orthodox Christian minorities as well. Though its roots are steeped in one religion, the Noruz celebration proves that it's a holiday for everyone regardless of faith. Perhaps that was Zoroaster's initial plan, for, at the end of the day, no matter who we worship or what we believe, we all strive for the same things. Thanks for listening, and a very happy Noruz to those who celebrate it. May this new year bring you all joy and prosperity, things we could all use in these uncertain times. I hope you found this episode both enlightening and educational. While I myself have Persian friends, I actually didn't know as much about Noruz prior to the making of this episode. Oftentimes I learn and discover as much as my listeners, which is part of why I particularly enjoy this venture. If you like my content and wish to support me to hear more of it, please consider supporting me monthly. Just visit anchor.fm slash historylovescompany and click the support button, which will redirect you to three monthly support plans that fit any budget or monetary situation, especially in these days of severe inflation. Listening and sharing help me out as well, so please do so on all streaming platforms. Join me again next week as we take a trip back in time, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you then. Thank you.